I just want to say real quick that it's a pleasure to be here, and uh, this is family for me, and I get to preach also in Framingham later on. It's going to be cool. But real quick, I just before I get into the message, I want to talk to you guys a little bit about uh, some announcements uh, that, that, that I want to make. You saw that video about the You Asked For It series? So today, um, you should get a text message, and if you're, not, if, you, if you're unsure if you're in that distribution list, connect with the leader, ask them how you can get into that, because we're going to send you a link so that you can submit your questions, so that we could use those questions to teach and preach on when we get into the You Asked For It series. So for that series to work, you have to ask a question. So I just want to encourage you to do that. Be, be on the lookout for that text. And also, I just want to also welcome our online viewers. Can we welcome them? Thank you so much for joining, for being a part of the service this morning. We're so glad that you tuned in. And I promise the message today is going to help your walk with Jesus. And also, uh, to, the, to the second service, I, I won't be there today. I'm going to be in Framingham right when you're watching this. But uh, thank you so much. And, and we love you. And I hope this helps you too. All right. So Today, I'm going to preach a message that's grace-based because we had been on that teaching series Pastor D was, was, was um, speaking on. It was the Tree of Life. How many of you were, were a part of that series? Or, or if you remember that, raise your hand. Okay. So it's, it will be a message that stems off of that, but that also addresses some of the things that hold us back. Now, grace is, is a huge topic in the Bible, and, and I am no guru, even though I look like one, for sure. So I'm going to try to just teach you guys um, some of the things that I think are practical and have helped me in, in my walk with Jesus in reference to grace, and also some of the things that, that we don't understand about grace that helps us change our perspective and our view of God so that in that way we're asking better questions to heaven versus just waiting for the right answers, okay? Does that make sense? Yes. And uh, I believe uh, a lively church speaks back. Y'all can... Shout me down. If something that I say, you know, resonates with you, you, you can say amen. You can say glory to God, stuff like that, just so that, you know, uh, we believe that church is a, a, a sport that you participate in. It's not a spectator sport. So if you want to make this fun, you know, just, just, just preach back at me, and, and we're going to go. It's going to be good. All right. All right. Here we go. And if this TV, for some reason, doesn't obey, I will kick it over. I'm just going to qualify it. I'm going to qualify that from the beginning. So tell the person next to you, change your question. I believe that if we change our question, it'll improve the answers that we're getting. We can't just sit back in life, in our Christian walk, and expect the right answers if we're not asking the right questions. Does that make sense? So I, I want to I I tell you what a little bit about what happens, what, what gets us into a place where we're not asking the right questions. So the big idea today is if your perspective changes, your questions will change. And then consequentially, this is what I believe, change your question, change your life. Does that make sense? All right. So uh, I'm going to speak on, well, before I do that, let me tell you a little story that supports this. There was, a, there was an example. Uh, there's this uh, speaker. He talks about how 
there was a guru, and he was a very wealthy man, and uh, he was in the streets of Boston. He came out of, of a seminar, and he was, he was dressed very well, and he was making a phone call. And then uh, someone that, that, that was looking for a spare change came across him and asked him, you know, he said, sir, sir, can, can, you, can you spare me some change? Can you give me a little bit of money? And so th- this guru, he, he pulls out like these rolls of $100 bills, y'all, and, and he's flipping the $100 bills. He's flipping the Benjamins, if you will, and then, and then he, he, he puts the roll back in his pocket and he gives him some spare change. Now, when I first heard that story, I was like, that's mean. Like, you know he's in need. Why would you give him just a, a little bit of money? Because he asked for some money. So it, when, when you ask for something, you get what you ask for. And so I think in that story, what it highlights is this, is that in life, we don't get the things that we want. We get the things that we must have. And so our, our questions have to be aligned with where we want to be in life because if that man's question would have been different, maybe the result would have been different. I'm not saying that was a good thing. I'm not saying do that. I'm not saying that this is what I condone, but it does express the, 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 the importance of, of how if we ask better, then the answers will be better. And I think the lesson the guru wanted to teach the beggar was that you get what of life which you must have. And so if you just want some more money, here's a dollar, get out of here. Uh, and so I think it supports the big idea this morning. And we're going to look into the Bible to see how the power of questioning that's a consequence of perspective is seen in the Bible also. If, if, if you would follow along in your worship guides, there's a story. Um, scholars call this story the story the narrative of the penitent criminal who, 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 set, who was at the right hand of Jesus when, when he was being crucified on the cross. And uh, historians call him Demas, and the one on the right was Gustus. We, we don't know if, if, if that was really the names that attributed to them. But I want to point out that the story that we're going to zoom in on in the scene of, of the Jesus story is found in, in three Gospels. So it really brings authenticity even more to the story that we're going to talk about. And we're going to start reading in Luke. Now, you'll see that there, that there may be a difference in how different Gospels talk about the same story. It doesn't mean that the Bible contradicts itself because if, if the Bible was completely perfect in, in version and story, in fact, that would, that would breed a conspiracy. But because they're different, but they don't contradict, they harmonize, it really brings more authenticity to how valid, true, and timeless the Bible really is. Does that make sense? And I know it's Communion Sunday. Can I get an Amen. Communion Sunday is this day, like Pastor Mark was saying, where we, we remember, we remember what Jesus did. And he asked his disciples to, to replicate this. And he asked his disciples to, to do this in remembrance of me. And I want to ask you this morning, I know you know the story of Jesus. But I want to ask you, do you remember the story of Jesus? Do you remember the details? Because let me, let me, let me say this to you. Uh, God forbid, but what if today you, you, you were to walk out of the auditorium and you were crossing Pleasant Street and someone was coming out of the VFW and you were on your phone, you were occupied because, you know, you're so busy and all of a sudden you're in the middle of the street and, and you didn't notice that you were in the middle of the street. And then by the time you look to your right, there's this huge semi-truck coming at you at like 50 miles an hour. And by the time you look over to try to react, there's someone running at you. And they push you out of the way last minute, 
And then you were like by a millisecond saved from that incident. But the person that pushed you out of the way didn't make it. But you didn't know who that person was. And you're standing there in that situation and you're like, oh my goodness, that could have been me. But at the same time, you're thinking, who was that? And I promise you this, because of that life-saving incident, you would probably want to go to the hospital to find out who is this person and why did they do this to save me? And, and who, who, what's their family? What's, what's their name? Who are you? You would probably live your life always wanting to remember that person. You would never forget that person's name because they saved you and you didn't even know who they were and you didn't even know why they did it. And I want to say that Jesus did that for us. That's what he did for us. Knowing that many people would never acknowledge it, still he did that for us. So I want you to remember the story of how a God-elevated being chose to come down and put skin on, live as a human. He made himself destitute of all his glory, the Bible says, to walk on earth so that he could relate to you and me. And as son of God, he didn't act like the son of God in the aspect of entitlement. In fact, he came to flip the rules and the principle, and he decided that to lift people up, you start from the bottom. So to rise, you lift. And so he inverted all of these concepts and his teaching. They were life-giving, and, and he brought a new way, and, and he brought a new thought. But, but at the same time, after 30 years of being a carpenter, he's called to now his, his purpose and his mission. And what happens in this story is this. They arrest an innocent man. Because he was growing in popularity, he was, he was a threat to the religious leaders of the time. And you know the story, and I'm just helping you to remember the details here. He was an innocent man. Can I get an amen? He didn't have to go to the cross. He chose to go to the cross. In fact, when they came to the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says that the Roman guards and, and, and the Jewish temple guards, they came and Judas was leading the way. And, and they screamed out and they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And when he responded, I am he, everybody fell back. Because when he responded, I am he, he didn't say, I am, I am Jesus, son of Joseph. He responded with, with the same answer that God had given to Moses in the book of Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, where, where Moses was asking, well, if I go tell Pharaoh who you are, who, who should I say that I am? And God tells Moses, I am who I am, the Alpha and the Omega. So in that moment, Jesus says, I am that I am. And everybody fell back, y'all. And if it was me in that situation, that's when I would have been like, all right, let's get out of here. Let's go. Let's run. That would have been my moment. But Jesus stands his ground. And it's interesting that if you, if you read the gospel this way, you'll understand and see the, 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 the picture of scene and, and posture and transition. You'll see that Jesus says, I am he. Everybody falls back. And then he steps before the disciples and he says, I am he. I'm the one that you're looking for. But let these men go. And he points to his disciples. I want you to know this. Jesus will always stand in front of you when the opposition reaches your life. That is the message of the gospel. That's the story that I want you to remember. When Jesus came, he was arrested and willfully he went. They beat him. 
They ripped his beard out with their bare hands. They put a crown of, of thorns on his head and they beat it on his head so that it would stick through the skin. They, they, they whipped him with a cat of nine tails, they call it. It was, it was nine strips of leather with, with pointy objects at the end so that when, when it reached flesh on the back of a prisoner's back, it would, it would grab flesh and they would twist the, the whip and then they would pull it out so that there would be holes in the place where it hid. And the Bible says that he was whipped 40 times. And in Roman culture, they understood that rarely did a prisoner survive 39 lashes. So he went and he endured all of this. And after that, it wasn't enough. They, they, they put him back in jail. And then they made him walk what we call the, the Via Dolorosa, if you will, which is the pathway to, to Golgotha or, or Calvary or Skull Mountain, if you will. And there is where we pick up the story. And this is where I want you to zoom with me at this moment where we pick up in Luke chapter 23. And I want you to look at the details that happen in this scene. Now, mind you, he is exhausted. On the way to the cross, he falls over, the Bible says in the narrative of the Gospels. But there was a Simon of Cyrene who was, who was found on the way, and the Roman soldier was, was, was there, and he saw that Jesus fell over carrying the cross after, after being tortured for, for hours and, on, and hours on end. And, and, he, and he makes Simon help help Jesus carry the cross. And, and I know that you know the story, but maybe you didn't know this, that everything that Jesus said, but also everything that Jesus did is a teaching message for us. And so as he's walking and he couldn't carry the cross, it's God's love telling us that when you can't bear the problems in your life, there will always be a Simon of Cyrene that God will put into your life to help you carry the weight and continue your purpose onto the mission. Now watch this. It says, read it with me. Now there was also an inscription above him. This, what does it say? The king of the Jews. It's so interesting that he was judged for truth because he was the king. One of the criminals, there were two, who were hanged there was hurling abuses at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Why? When I read this, I, I thought to myself, why are you asking that? That's the wrong question. And in, in the book of Matthew, the Bible will say that both criminals were railing accusations, accusations at Jesus. But, but Luke depicts it in a different way. He writes according to the account of Peter also. And it says that he had a change of heart because look at what happens. He's, the, 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 the original criminal, the one on the left, he's saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and save us. Look at what he's saying. But the other answer, the other on the, on the right-hand side of Jesus, and if and pay attention to this. Every time you see a painting of Jesus on the cross with, with, the, three, with the other two criminals, you'll always see that they depict him looking to his right. There's, there's a reason for that. Now watch. But the other answered, this is Demas, some scholars say, and, and he rebukes him and he says, uh, do you not even fear God? How did he know that he was God? Did he read the inscription? Did he know the story? What happened there? Are, you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed are suffering justly. He's like, we deserve to be here, but he doesn't, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Watch this. 
When Pilate was judging Jesus, he found no fault in him. In fact, before he judged, his wife sent him a letter in the middle of the tribunal and said, I had a dream about this man. He is innocent, have nothing to do with this case. So Pilate gets up there and he washes his hands. Remember the story? And he says, I, I, I wash my hands of this man. He, the blood of this man is on, is, on your, is on your heads. And it's interesting that for, for generations after it comes true when we see the Holocaust and then there's a consequence to the condemnation of Jesus. That's what some theologians believe. And, and this, this man is found innocent twice now. We get to the story here and also, also Demas, the, 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 the person that's to his right, also says this is an innocent man. This is important because, because at the end, we're going to bring all of these, these findings together to understand a point. He's done nothing wrong, and he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Can I get an amen? amen. Truly I say to you, Jesus says. Now, he was struggling to breathe at this moment, if you don't, if you don't know. And because of how he was severely beaten, and because of how his feet was, 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 was piked, to that Roman torture tool, he had to put all of his weight on the nails in his feet to be able to breathe as his lungs were collapsing because there was no sound flesh on the back of his body. He says, truly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. This is the greatest, in my view, display, demonstration of grace in all of the Jesus story. This man didn't go to next steps. He didn't raise his hand. He didn't sign a membership covenant. He didn't get baptized in water. But because he recognized who Jesus was, because of one question, because of one word, he got eternal life, y'all. Listen, I know that Jesus, I know that Jesus, he rose people from the dead, but those people died again. And he cured people and he walked on water and, and blind people saw and deaf, all of these miracles. But all of those people went on to, to die again. But this man, because of one question, he inherited eternal life. That's the biggest display of, of grace that I've seen in the Bible, in my view, as I study it. It was about the sixth hour and darkness fell over the land until the ninth hour because the sun was obscured some people say it was an eclipse i believe all of heaven stood at attention to flex at a moment of jesus and the veil of the temple was torn in two and jesus crying out with a loud voice said father into your hands i commit my spirit having said this he breathed his last he breathed his last if you ever hear that Jesus died on the cross, they don't know what they're saying. Jesus did not die on the cross because up until this point, death, the spirit of death, was used to, to taking people on the cross or when they went to pass into eternity. Death was used to finding people full of sin, people who deserved it, people that weren't good because the truth is there are no good people. But on this day, at this moment, death comes to grab the spirit of Jesus, but it finds no fault in him. It finds a sinless man, an innocent spirit, and so death has no power. Death loses its sting because at this moment it has no authority to take someone who's never sinned into Hades, into the afterlife. So this is why Jesus is going through all of this suffering and he doesn't die. He had to give himself up to death because death had no power over him. Jesus didn't die on the cross. He gave himself up on the cross for you and me. That's the true way to speak of the gospel. And so he breathed his last, y'all.
Now when the centurion saw what had been happening, he began praising God and saying, certainly this man was what? Innocent. That's four times that he's been seen innocent in the end of his ministry as he leads himself into his purpose. We know for sure now that there has been a flagrant miscarriage of justice. And still he is silent. And still he doesn't say anything. Why is Jesus silent? I want to say to you this morning, the silence of Jesus had everything to do with the way people saw him. The silence of Jesus teaches us something. And I want to say to you that how you see God will determine how you respond to him. Isn't it interesting that many people, if you read this account in the Gospels, are asking Jesus questions. Passerbys, Jewish leaders, the Roman soldiers, the two criminals to both of his sides. Everybody's asking him questions. Aren't you the king? Didn't you say that you were going to the shore of the temple and then build it on the third day? And they're asking him questions. And they're asking him questions. And they're making accusations. And they're asking him questions. But he does not respond to any of these questions but one. Because he did not want to defend himself. But if someone needed saving, he would break his silence. I want to say to you this morning that a limiting question stemmed from a limiting view of God. I think what happened to Demas, the person that we're going to focus on here this morning, is that this, this criminal, this penitent thief, he had a change of heart because he changed his view of who Jesus was and what Jesus could do for him. What do we learn from this scene? Well, there are many different perspectives happening as we see different people seeing Jesus a different way. But, but what about the faith of Demas? What I like in this story that I want to unpack a little bit here is that at this moment, Demas had more faith than all of the disciples combined. Where were the disciples? Where were his followers? Where were the people that swore to stand by his side? At this moment, they were scattered, and the Bible says they were watching from afar. But here is this man who looks onto Jesus and has faith to see him as a king, to see someone that is going into a kingdom and that can save him. I think the view that Demas had of Jesus enabled him to ask the right question that gave him the right answer. The silence of Jesus was broken. I think we get it now. When you ask the right question, you get the right answer. Say that to the person next to you real quick. Say that to the person next to you real quick. Listen, it's not about, why me? Why, Lord, why? I say that every time I get home and I see Christian. It's a mess. Like, why me? It's not about why me. It's about why me. See the difference? There's an attitude difference. The, 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 the change is in how I see the situation, how I view God in my life. If I'm looking at my life and I'm saying, why me? But if I'm looking at my life with God and I'm, I'm understanding, I get why me. Okay, why me? Let's go. You see the difference? So it's all a matter of perspective. If you're too zoomed in on the problem, you're not going to see it for what it is. The situations and the circumstances and the struggles in your life were not meant to stop you. They were meant to propel you into your destiny. I'm here to tell you this right now, that you were meant 
for victory. You were meant to win and win every time. You just need to change your perspective and how you see that. You see, that thing that's happening in your life, it's not meant to stop you, to knock you down, to be a stumbling block. It's meant to be a sharpening tool that will let you take another step so that you can walk into your purpose. Because listen, talent will get you to where God wants you to be, but character keeps you there. So you need these things to sharpen you so you can be more effective. Anybody get anything out of this? Listen to me. Right standing produces right behavior. Right standing produces right behavior. You begin having the right perspective when you get this. It's all about understanding who you are and who you serve. When you have your identity figured out, you will know what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to walk, how you're supposed to behave, how you're supposed to act. The reason why a lion will not seek food or, or become a predator underwater is because he knows who he is. He will not thrive underwater. But in fact, the lion isn't the fastest. The lion isn't the strongest. The lion isn't the most agile. The lion isn't the smartest. But he's the king of the jungle, we say, because he acts like a lion. He knows who he is and and there are only two animals in the bible that god will reminisce and reflect or, or or ascribe to and that's the eagle and the other one is the lion because you need to start acting like a son for you to understand what you're entitled and what belongs to you you need to act like royalty act like you know who your god is is that is that, is that good does that make sense so it's all about understanding of who you are because once you know who you are, you know how to do. You know how to walk. It's, it's an identity thing that needs to be solved first. It's an identity thing because if you aren't a son, then the only thing you can be is a slave. The Bible says that we are a slave to the things that we obey. A slave begs. Now watch this. A beggar will ask for mercy. A son will receive grace. You see how it's important to know who you are? You see how important it is to understand God, not from what people preach in the pulpit, but having a personal relationship with God so that you know him for yourself. And that's possible. God wants to have a relationship with you. Watch this. Mercy says you deserve judgment. You deserve this. But lesser or no bad things will happen to you. I'm coming in with mercy. I'm going to lessen the penalty and I'm going to give you mercy. But watch, grace will match mercy's offer and then allow the good things that you don't deserve to happen to you. That's what happens when you understand who you are. Things you don't deserve happen to you and things that are bad that you deserve are also acquitted. When you're a son, you have entitlement that you may not know you have. Now, when I came over to this country in 1989, I was a young buck, and uh, we all have these stories of people that got on planes for the first time, and I had a friend who, who, who came over from a small city in Brazil, and it was the first time he was getting on a plane. He called it the Iron Bird, <laughs> and he was so scared to, to, to get on there, and in the country of Brazil, as many of you may know, you pay for everything. It's just like on airlines nowadays, right? You pay for everything. It's like if you breathe too much, they're going to charge extra for that. Like you moved your elbows too much, we're going to have to charge you for that. Do you want peanuts? $10. It's like three peanuts. What's going on, people? <laughs> it's like before you take off, your seat has to be in right, like put your seat in the right, up, right side position and, and put your seatbelt on and, and put your tray tables on. I'm like, do you know the statistics of people who survive in a plane crash? Like, really, this is going to save me? Like, three degrees is going to save me? And then this last trip, I had my son Christian Isaac with me, and, you know, he didn't have a seatbelt, so I'm like, you guys don't love babies, right? Because I have to wear my seatbelt, but what about Christian? I'm like, these rules make no sense! <laughs> I'm going to go read my Bible. 
And so he's my friend. He's on the plane for the first time. And, and he thought they were going to charge him for Ayrton. You know what I mean? And so he was like, I'm not going to eat nothing. They're not going to get me. And so he, he sat down and they were bringing him water. No, thank you. You know, peanuts, no, thank you. I might be allergic. He wasn't. Like, they gave him dinner. He's like, no, no, dinner for me. Do you want, you know, chicken or do you want filet mignon? It's all rubber and fake. No, thank you. Uh, you know, dessert comes around. He's like, no. You know, breakfast, everybody's like, yeah, you know, the omelet that was made out of fake chickens. And he, they, 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 they're eating it and they're having the fun. You know, toothpaste, if the flight's long enough. And, and he's like, no, 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 no. And then he gets into a city in the U.S. and then someone comes up to him and says, you know, I, I, realize, I realize that you said no to everything on the plane. Uh, did you like have a big meal? He was just trying to strike conversation because immigration lines have like, you know, they go from like here to the moon if you ever come into this country. And so he was there trying to strike, strike a conversation with him. And the guy said, no, they're not going to get me. I said no because, you know, I'm not going to pay for that. And he's like, wait a minute, man. What do you mean? You, all of that was, was included. Like, this is an eight-hour flight. Everything that they offered you was for free. And he's like, what? Hold up. I'm going to go get my eggs right now. Like, he wanted to go back into the plane and get everything that, was, that belonged to him. Isn't it interesting that when we don't know what's entitled, we act differently? And it happens in our relationship with God. A lot of times we don't cash in on the blank check called grace because we don't think we, don't, we, don't, we haven't paid for it. We don't deserve it. Let me tell this to you. When Jesus paid, settled our debt on the cross, we inherit everything that belongs to him. You need to act like you own some things. You need to act like the powerful man that you are, the woman that you are. You need to take advantage of certain things. That plane is yours. That food is yours. The airport belongs to you. You are co-heirs with Christ, the Bible says. Can I get an amen? Amen. But it, it stems from this. You have to have, you have, to have better understanding of, of who you are, of who you are. And a lot of people have questions on, well, what is grace? I want to take advantage of this. I'm here for the first time. I'm a visitor. I want to take advantage of grace. Well, I'm going to show you. These are some of the verses I found in the Bible that will help you understand what grace is. Grace can be a lot more than what I'm saying, but this is what I found in the Bible that will help you. Grace is forgiveness. You need to forgive yourself because God has forgiven you. What you say about you matters. It's not what people say about you that will destroy you. It's what you say about you that will destroy you. There's an old African proverb that says, if there is no enemy within, the enemy outside can do me no harm. What you say about you matters. Grace is forgiveness. It says in Ephesians 1.7, in him we have redemption through his blood. Redemption, forgiveness, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Everybody say forgiveness. According to his riches in his grace. Watch this. What is grace? Grace saves us. This is the first step in our life-changing spiritual journey. When we acknowledge and accept Jesus, we have automatic right-standing destiny change. And we are put on this journey. So grace saves us. Can I get an amen? The Bible says in Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Grace is a free gift. Stop trying to earn what is already free for yourself. Stop trying to ask God to bless something since you don't need him to bless that. He's already blessed things for you to walk into. 
It's about perspective. If you understand what God has done for you, you will walk into that will of God for your life, and you won't have to ask God to do all these extra things because he had a plan A all along. You're keeping him busy with plan B, C, D, E, F, if it fails. Let me tell you, plan A never fails. It's God's plan for your life. Grace is a free gift. Grace is a free gift, and this is why. It says in Romans 3.24, being justified as a gift. Everybody say gift. By his grace through the redemption which is in Jesus Christ. Grace empowers us. And this, this is what I think we, is what the church doesn't talk enough about. I don't think God sets you up to fail. If grace saves us, it's also going to empower, empower us. There is saving grace and there is sustaining grace. Grace is also the thing that will allow you to keep on progressing in that life-changing spiritual journey. God has empowered you to do the things that you don't have the power to do alone. You need to lean in on grace to, so that you can walk into the purpose of God. Let's, let's read what the Bible says. The Bible says, I think it's uh, in, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and uh, this is Paul writing to the church. He said to me, my grace is sufficient to you. This is God speaking to Paul. Now, this is the person who's, who wrote like two-thirds of the, of the New Testament. And this, this man was an apostle. He was like the first church planter. He, he had some strength. Can I get an amen? But even Paul's like, I got some issues. And, and then God tells him, my grace is sufficient for you for power. He's saying, my grace will also empower you so that when your resources run out, my grace steps in and helps you do what you can't do by yourself lean on on grace y'all lean in on it it perfected him in his weakness this work this word weakness here it's it's not that thing that we're ashamed of that 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 that, that has a negative stigma this is the greek word asthenia which means incapability the, the the weakness that that paul is referring to is the thing that we cannot do because we haven't learned how to overcome it it doesn't mean that you're a failure it means that you haven't learned how to overcome that yet if you own the problem you can fix the problem now when i get home my christian's got a whole bunch of toys that people give and i'm like i'm selling all those he, he needs five that's all he needs you know and uh, because they make a mess and he's, he's he got this new toy recently that has like this this triangle peg that's supposed to go in the triangle hole you, you know what I'm saying like the the circle going in the circle and I'm trying to teach him like a good father that I am can I get any man and, and and I'm like okay ready son the triangle goes in the triangle he looks at me he's like ah smash and he's blows up the toy right in front of you I'm like when are you gonna learn that's not the right place to put the, the triangle as that's it, you're out of here. You, I, you're out. You're out. You're fired. You're fired, Christian. You, 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 you're not, you don't deserve this. We don't do that, do we? Just because he hasn't learned a certain thing in his life, a certain behavior, it doesn't mean I write him off as my son. Because I know that in due time, in his life-changing spiritual journey, he will learn how to do that. And it's the same thing with us and God. You just haven't learned how to overcome that. But God will not give up on you. God will not forsake you. He will not reject you. He will work with you and grace will empower you to learn certain things until you can be in right standing because you've learned that. Amen. Hallelujah. But it all has to do with how we have a limiting view. And these are some signs, some practicalities. These are fill-ins in your worship guide that you can use a pen for. And if you're not taking notes, uh, I studied too hard for you to not take notes, so take notes. <laughs> signs your view of God is limiting. Um, you're, you're trying harder versus being transformed. I think this is a big one. This might not be in your notes, but I'm going to say this to you. You'll find it in, um, well, let me go into this verse. 
This verse is found in Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we're not saved by works. We're saved for good works. Stop trying to work harder to earn God's love. God already loves you. You were saved by grace through faith for good works. It's not what you do for God that gets you into his love. It's who you are in him that gets you into his love. It's what he's done for us. So it's not about you trying harder. Maybe if, if, if I just try a little bit harder. No, if you just focus on loving God, you will understand that good works will happen. Can I get an amen? Which God had prepared for you beforehand. But I want to also give you a verse. It's Romans seven fifteen. It says, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. This is Paul talking about how he's having the struggles we just spoke to a couple of minutes ago. And, and also this verse, Philippians 2.12. And this is such a good verse because it really explains the starting point and the process that is that sustaining grace. The Bible says, so then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Say work. work. Work out your salvation doesn't mean try harder. It means that you'll always look for improvement in your walk with God. It's not about perfection. It's about direction. It's not about being perfect. It's about showing progress. Progress equals happiness. You just have to understand that the moment you're saved, you are put on this journey, and you just need to strive and work out your salvation. Working out speaks to something that you, that you fight with, that you struggle for. It's about the reach. It's about never giving up. It's about always wanting to improve. Can we improve in certain areas the same thing is is in relation to our salvation you need to just always work it out and always show improvement and, and, and progress in certain areas because that is what we call the fruits of salvation can I get an amen, amen. hallelujah and when we look at the process of saving grace versus sustaining grace it really changes our perspective it allows us to be in the right position of a son, of a daughter, because we're always focusing on the next step versus focusing on what we're not doing, versus focusing on our mistakes, our shortcoming. Well, I, I'm, I'm a bad father. Well, you know, I'm bad with my finances. Well, you know, I can't get this right. I can't quit this. I can't break this addiction. Well, you know, I can't stop lying to people. And we're trying to focus on, on like, doing better by, by, by improving our weaknesses. And all our focus is, is, is on our mistakes. I want you to know this. What helps you in your walk with the cross, what helps you in your relationship with God is not trying to do bad less. It's trying to focus on God more. Does that help? It's, it's not about, I'm going to try to do this less. It's about running so far into God's presence that sin can't follow. It's not about just, you know, being holy, what the Bible calls righteousness or sanctification. It's about always washing yourself with the blood of Jesus. It's about always getting back up. It's not about how many times you fall down. It's about how many times can you get up. Hallelujah. You need to get up in your relationship with Christ every single day and strive for better. Amen? Amen. Another, another thing that I think helps us that is a sign that we um, are limiting our view is... We think that God is angry with us. We think that God has forgotten us. We think that he is ashamed of us. And all of these views, they, they, they stem from a place that is influenced by the relationship we have with our Father. And 
before I do that, let me just go back because I think I skipped one. Just because you're following along. God is waiting for me to mess up. This is a big one. We see God as a judge. Psychology says that the relationship we have with our father influences all of the relationships we will ever have in our life. That's why it's so important. And so because our earthly father sometimes fails us, we think that God is the same way. So because dad was mad and dad was too strict, we think God is also waiting for me to mess up so he can correct me. This isn't true. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is slow about, the Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish for all you do and to come to repentance. He's not mad at you. He's waiting for a moment to help you. Some people think God is angry. God has forgotten you. Listen, with, listen to truth. Every lie is built on a partial truth. Let me give you some truth. Bible says in Isaiah 49, can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even if that may be true, even these may forget, but I will not forget you. You need to learn how to replace a lie with the truth. The Bible is full of truth for you to have the right perspective on God and not lose sight of that. And as I make my last point, I want to go back to the story. And if Sarai could come up at this moment, I want to zoom back on the scene of Jesus on the cross. And the question that everybody asks is, well, why did Jesus have to die when you're new to faith? I think it's important for you to understand, after learning so much about grace, this isn't in your notes, that Jesus... had to take our place there had to be a price that was paid for us to have access to this amazing grace why did Jesus have to die well literally speaking in the story Pilate wanted to appease the Jewish leaders why did Jesus have to die well literally speaking for Judas to make profit on 30 pieces of silver that was the price of a slave in this period Jesus was silent and he speaks to Demas for him to have a life-saving moment. Learn this right here. Heaven is not interested in your questions. I want to let that sink in. Heaven is interested in your response to God's response. One criminal wanted to get down from the cross. The other one wanted to go up from the cross. The moment you decide you want to be in God's presence is the moment God speaks to you. 30 pieces of silver was the transaction to betray Jesus. Judas, with remorse, gave it all back and he threw it at the temple floor. But can we really put a value on Jesus? It was he really worth the 30 pieces of silver? Is that what we think? I would say it's impossible. Could we put a, a price on the hair of Jesus? Well, since he was sold for the price of a slave, can we, can we put a price on the hair that, that was on his head? Can, can I cut his hair and, and have that? Would that be 10 pieces of silver or, or five pieces of silver? The hair that in Jewish culture, in tradition at that time, represented the honor of a man, the honor of a woman. 
And you know what he does in his story, in his life example? He uses his hair to wash the feet of his disciple. How much would that be? I think it's invaluable. Well, what about the eyes of Jesus? Could we put value on the eyes of true compassion that in every moment that Jesus turned to look at a person, he saw the very best in them that they couldn't see themselves. The eyes of Jesus that every time he looked, he had a genuine, authentic look of love and genuine compassion. In fact, he spent most of his time with people that society had rejected. The eyes of Jesus looked for people. What about his hands? Were his hands worth half or one-third? Could we put a value on the hands of Jesus? These hands that every time it touched a person, it cured a person. Every time Jesus' hands extended out, it brought healing. It was, it was a hand that touched not only people, but it touched people's hearts. And they were struck, stuck to the cross. What could we say about the feet of Jesus? dusted with the desert dirt of Palestine. He walked from 16 cities. He walked about 3,000 miles and he measured no effort. Sometimes he walked all day and night because he knew someone needed help. I think even though it was a 30 pieces of silver transaction, Jesus was worth much more. And I think that when Jesus was judged he didn't just sell our debt I believe that the payment that he made for us on the cross was unexpectedly more because he wanted to forever change our perspective on him how do you view your God how do you view Jesus how you view God will determine how you view yourself also. If I could have Pastor Mark assist me at this moment in positioning, if you could stand with me at this moment. In this moment in time, church, I don't know if you recollect this small detail, but listen to me, this is important. The transaction was 30 pieces of silver. But when his blood began to seep on the cross, what was happening there was this. The greatest transfer of wealth was happening in the universe. If you know the value of a son, you know what I mean. Right now, if my son needed me, if Christian Isaac, he's 15 months, 15 months old, if he needed every, anything, if he needed anything, I would, I would sell everything. I would give up all the money. I would sell the houses, sell the cars. I would ask you for money. I would do anything because my son is my greatest asset. So when we understand that God gave his only begotten son, that was also all he had. That was the number one value asset in heaven. And so when Jesus died for you, the payment was so much more because all of heaven's worth, the coffers were empty. Heaven became bankrupt. And there was a transfer of wealth and value that left heaven and it came into Emmanuel, God within us. And it came into you and it came into me. So how dare you, how dare you think you don't have what it takes? 
How dare you look in the mirror and not appreciate what you see? How dare you reject your story? You don't know what you're worth. Your perspective is off. There is so much value in you. There is so much worth in you. You are beautiful, intelligent, and smart, and you were made in God's image. Do you understand the value you have? It's unsurmountable. It cannot be measured. The Bible says that the sun was obscured. I believe all of heaven surrounded the earth. The Bible says that God turned his back. And Jesus says, Lord, Abba, Father, why have you forsaken me? I don't believe that God for a moment abandoned Jesus. But as a father, there are certain things you can't bear to see. And so God turned his back on Jesus so he wouldn't destroy the earth. He loved you because of what Jesus did for you. You are a daughter. You are a son. And maybe you're here today and you want to get into relationship with God for the first time. I want to give you that opportunity with every eye closed, every head bowed. Maybe you're listening to this message and you're thinking, I want that for my life. All you have to do is accept God. I'm going to count to three. And when I end, after I finish counting, I just want you to respond by raising your hand. And this is your moment. Don't shy away from this moment. This is the decision that changes your life forever. Can I get an amen? amen? So here we go. One, God loves you so much, you will never understand what was paid for you to have this opportunity. Two, this is your moment. Don't shy away. Three, if that's you, could you raise your hand so I can acknowledge you? Hallelujah. Thank you. I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you. God bless you. I see your hand. I see your hand, sir. I see your hand, ma'am. God bless you. God bless you. Yes, thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The power wasn't in the hand. This is between me, you, and God. The power was in the belief you had in your heart. And all, all you have to do at this moment as a confirmation of what happened, we're going to pray together, and the church is going to pray with me, yes? So if you just made that decision, just repeat after me like this. Say, Lord Jesus, I accept you. I acknowledge you. I confess you as Lord. Help me in Jesus' name. And the church said amen. Amen. And the church said amen. Can we give it up for those lives that accepted Jesus?